apologetics is rightly done, is distinctly evangelistic. So if you came here thinking that I'm going to this class to become a better uh, defender of my faith and uh, one who's able to articulate his or her faith, this is, that's, this is the right class to be in. It's not just like a soul-winning class, but any evangelism that takes place on any level is going to require a level of apologetic, and I'll explain that as we, as we go here, okay? So, um, so uh, if you got a Bible, you can find 1 Peter, and uh, I've, uh, I, the, I heard a story of uh, two Australians who were in a in London at a, in a pub, and they'd been there all night long, and they ended up getting drunk, and uh, they were just completely inebriated by the early morning hours when they staggered out of the bar, and they ran into a highly decorated uh, British navalman. The entire country knew this man, but these two Aussies didn't know him, and they looked at him, and they said, uh, they asked him, they said, sir, do you know where we are? And uh, this proud navalman looked at them and said, uh, do you know who I am? And the two drunks looked at each other and said, man, we are in trouble. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. (laughs) If you're going to be a defender of the faith in Christ, you need to know and, and in the process, win the lost. You better know who you are and whose you are. And, uh, and why you are where you're at. How you got there. That's all a part of apologetics. To be able to explain your faith. With the idea of winning somebody. Uh, just the other day, and I mean yesterday, I was uh, at uh, Fitness World. And there's... And I, I, I get on elliptical, and, you know, people walk around the track all the time, and I interact with them sometimes. And there's a gentleman I've been seeing for the last couple months. He just always says hi to me, but he just keeps on going. So this time, I walked up, when I was done, I walked up to where he was. I introduced myself to him, and I asked him what his name was, and he said, Elmir. And I had to ask him a couple of times, Elmir, Elmir, yeah. And I could tell that, that you're, that that Slavic accent was there. He's from Bosnia. And, uh, and I said, I, we just chatted back and forth. And I just made mental notes as we talked. He's married. He has three children. He's a trucker. And he's Muslim. And I only knew that because I said, Almir, how long you been in the States? Uh, Ten years. His English was pretty good, actually. And, and I said, are you a church-going guy? And uh, no, 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 I'm Muslim. And uh, at, that, at that point, what would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have just started talking to him about Jesus? Okay, someone says, ask him what he believes. I mean, that I, I could have done that. In the moment, I was sort of a passing moment. I knew it wasn't going to be a lengthy moment. What it was to me was a bridge-building moment. Because I've, I mean, Amir and I say hi to each other all the time. I know I'm going to see this guy. So I did what I often do in these cases. I said, 
I said, that's, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, I said, you know, I wasn't always a Christian. And uh, I said, several years ago, I was convinced that the claims that the Bible has uh, of Christ were true. And I became a Christian. And I'd love to tell you my story sometime. If you ever, hey, no pressure. I said, if you ever have a few moments, I'd love to be able to do that. And he thanked me. And that was it. That's the extent of the conversation. So there wasn't any, the apologetic there was sort of a bridge building moment. Okay? Uh, but as you're going to see here tonight, the most important apologetic that you can have is you. And your own clear testimony for Jesus. And I'm going to call her out. She doesn't know I'm going to do this. I, I, you often hear me say just the other day, just the other moment, my daughter-in-law, who's in this room, told me about a certain situation that came about this afternoon of a gal that has had a chance to observe her in a public setting with kids around. And she came up to my daughter-in-law and, and, so, and said something to the degree, I can see you have something that I don't have. And then just bleh, told her story. And now my daughter-in-law is going to start meeting with her. No, what, what, what has happened here? There isn't any evangelism per se that's taken place just yet. Uh, but it's going to be the thing we're going to end up with tonight that's going to be, I hope, the, a real challenge to all of us. And you can always ask yourself, what do people see when they, when they look at us? So... Um, at any rate, Christianity is both, I want you to know when it comes to apologetics, Christianity is both reasonably explainable and, uh, and at the same time mysteriously mind-boggling. We know what we believe, isn't it? So um, uh, the first time I was ever challenged in the area of apologetics, after I became a Christian, I, uh, I, I trotted off to Bible college, and I was driving down here to Ankeny, Iowa, with a guy who was a deacon in a church. And I, I was only, I'd only known the Lord for a little short period of time. And I was holding my Bible in my hand in the passenger side of the car, and I made a comment about what the Bible said about some subject. And my friend said, oh, that's cool, that's interesting, where does it say that, numbers? And I, I still remember, is it like yesterday, saying... Uh, I remember, I mean, I literally was holding my Bible. I said, ah, I know it's in here somewhere. <laughs> I just laughed kind of nervously. He goes, and he looked at me. He goes, Nemers, don't you ever tell me some fact of Christianity without giving me a book, chapter, and verse. That was one of those moments in my life that was like unbelievably formative. In, I never said a word, but in my heart I thought, by the grace of God, that is never going to happen again. Now, it wasn't exactly a spiritual thought. But there was a challenge in my heart. I needed to give, make my life's mission, my knowledge of the Bible, and the ability to articulate it on any given subject. So, that said, here is, here is, uh, here is the, here's the text if you, you will memorize, Okay. I don't care what translation you memorize it. Actually, this is the ESV. I memorized it out of the New King James, which says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason of the hope that is in you, but do it with meekness and fear, gentleness and respect here. 
Here's how the ESV puts it. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's our key word here. To everyone who asks you to give the reason of the hope that you have. Can I ask you a question here? Isn't that kind of what happened today to my daughter-in-law? Isn't that sort of what happened? Go like this. That's exactly what happened today. And it was through observation, not of the Bible, but of this part here in her life. Where we start is where we're going to finish. But having set apart Christ as Lord, you are prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you uh, to give the reason of the hope that's in you. I've heard people say, well, you don't, you don't witness unless somebody asks you. That's not, the perp- that's not the point of this text. But of course, you should be ready when someone does ask, okay? So the, the key word here is answer, okay? And uh, that is the word apologia. That's, where, that's the Greek word, apologia. This is the, this is the foundational verse that virtually every reputable apologetic starts with right here, okay? Uh, apologia, that's, that's the English uh, pronunciation there. And here's your definition. The Greek word means a speech in defense, a reasoned defense. Uh, when you gave an apology in the first century, it wasn't because you were saying you're sorry for something. It was just the opposite. It, it was you, the word was used of a lawyer making his point, Proving his point. And we even say today, you have to prove your point beyond what? A shadow of a doubt. That's what apologetics does. Makes it perfectly clear. Doesn't mean you're going to win the person you're talking to necessarily. But you do render them without excuse. You do render them, if you do it rightly, you, get, you put them in a place where they're saying, I, I can't argue with that, that kind of thinking. Now, apologetics... It, uh, defending your faith isn't, what, isn't what's going to save someone. Some people would say, you know, don't even get into that. Just give them the Bible. But God does use reasoning. And John is going to bring this up next week. And even how the Bible is, uh, uses cases of reasoning in order to bring somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. But that's your definition right there. A speech in defense or a reasoned defense, Okay. Christian apologetics is the verbal or the written defense of the historical and biblical Christian faith. That's what that is. That's what Christian apologetics is, okay? So, uh, and just to to continue on this vein, the purpose of apologetics is to strengthen one's own faith. Let me just stop there. Have you ever had your faith strengthened just by something you learned? Raise your hand if that's happened. Of course you have. Of course. I mean, that's, our faith is strengthened when, uh, when, uh, when we learn anything. Isn't that true? But, but it's actually doubled down when you can defend it and, uh, in, a, in, a, in a confrontation or a conversation. Hopefully it's more conversations that take place. So the purpose of apologetics is to strengthen one's own faith in biblical Christianity while effectively reaching the lost who do not have biblical faith in Christ. Okay, and I use, I'm purposely saying biblical faith because a lot of people claim faith, don't they? Okay, so here's Jude who had to launch into an apologetic. The book of Jude is an apologetic. Uh, 
Beloved, he writes, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, this is Jesus' half-brother talking here. And basically he confesses, if he'd have gotten his way, we would not have had a book of Jude. Because there's plenty on our common salvation, and the Holy Spirit probably wouldn't have put it in the Bible. But God stopped him, and then he gives a whole defense of how to deal with apostates and you know, those who sneak into the church and, and, and defile our minds and our reasoning. So Jude's whole book is an apologetic. Uh, so, uh, the, so apologist, uh, the word apolo- uh, apologetics uh, gave way to apologists. These were individuals who were known as great defenders of the faith. One of the earliest one was a guy by the name of Justin Martyr who lived uh, in the second uh, century. And... Uh, so I'm just looking at some of the stuff. He, he was, he was uh, some of his writings uh, were over three major concerns. To defend Christianity against false accusations. And some of those accusations were, some, by the way, so we, what do you suppose Christians were accused of by the pagans in the Old Testament? Some of you probably know some of these answers. Cannibalism. Did you know that Christians were accused of being cannibals? How would you answer that? Why, why, were they, why were they accused of being cannibals? Yeah, so, you know, you, as, lo- as often as you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, they, they heard these things. They're, they're eating flesh and drinking blood over there, you know. And so the Christians had to defend themselves against cannibalism. What else were they accused of? This is a real strange one. Atheism. Who said that? Atheism. Very good, Donna. Now, why would they be accused of atheism? Okay. Yeah, so the Roman culture was a polytheistic culture. You worship several gods. Again, I'm not taking any way, uh, anything away from John. He's going he's to make his way over to Acts 17. Uh, and... And, you know, Paul is very clever, you know, and he's in Acts 17. Oh, man, I see you got a God for just about everything. You even got an altar to the unknown God. Hmm, opportunity. And you'll see that more next week. So uh, they were also accused of being sexually immoral, which the Roman culture didn't even care about. Why would they be accused of being sexually immoral, Christians? Because of the, uh, what the culture would consider the incessant word of, the word of agape, okay, of the love feast that it was often called. Christians would come together, they would eat a meal like our cell groups often do, and, uh, but they, uh, all, and so they were being accused of these things, and it, were, and it required, you had to answer this thing. You couldn't just say, oh, that's stupid. You had to explain. And it was your opportunity to explain and not just counteract, but take that cannibalism and tell them what you were dealing with. Talking about Jesus. Take the atheism and and move them toward monotheism. One God, right? Take the accusation against sexual immorality and, and talk to them about what Christian love actually looks like, which was 
absolutely unheard of in the first century. You know, they understood eros love, erotic love, and they, they understood to some degree phileo love, you know, the reciprocal love. You love me, I love you. I mean, that's how we love. They didn't understand unconditional love. So you, in apologetics, you are looking for the opportunity to build a bridge upon the um, ignorance sometimes of other individuals or just wrong-headed kind of thinking, okay? So one of the things that Justin Martyr did was he, often, he, he was also, he argued the truth of Christianity on the basis that it fulfilled Old Testament prophecy because so if, in, in the first century, the, who, the first line of apologetics was to the Jew, wasn't it? To the Jew, what, what are you doing here? I mean, you're, you're forsaking Judaism and the true Christians were saying, no, no, we, we, we are the fulfillment of Judaism. Christ is the, he's, here he is in the Old Testament. And, and remember, uh, it just came to my mind, do you remember uh, 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 the, the Philippian, uh, not the Philippian, but the Ethiopian eunuch? Okay, he's traveling down, he's in Gaza, and Philip comes alongside him. What, what's the eunuch doing? Do you remember what he's doing? Okay, he's reading the Old Testament. He's reading, he's reading a document of Isaiah. So, I mean, it's not like everybody had documents of Isaiah on them. But what are you reading here? And uh, he says, you know, as a, as a lamb before its shears is dumb, so he opened down. Is he talking about himself or somebody else? So the Christian apologetic comes in and ties the Old Testament to the New Testament and shows that Isaiah 53, where that man was reading, is, the, is fulfilled in Christ. All right, so Justin Martyr did that, and uh, and also to show that Christianity was superior to Greek philosophy uh, as well. So uh, anyway, I just want you to know that this defending your faith is a big, big deal. It's becoming bigger because there's so much confusion today, especially in the church. Uh, there are so many churches out there, right? I mean, I mean, I'm guessing a good number of you, well, let me just ask you. I'm not going to ask for testimonies. How many of you were formerly in another church in Des Moines? Raise your hand. All right. No, not as, quite as many as I thought, but several. I'm not going to ask you why you left the church. But I wonder how many of you would say, I left for a doctrinal reason, a belief reason. Raise your hand up high. I see there's only one hand. There's two hands. Only a couple of you. Okay. About a half a dozen of you. So those would be the ones I'd be interested in having, having a conversation with. Why did you leave? What was, the, what was the doctrinal issue? Did they believe something strange about salvation? Did they have a strange view of baptism? Did they have a weird view of the Holy Spirit? Apologetics deals with all of these things, okay? So, uh, but not, uh, all, not all the church, early church fathers accepted these apologists like Justin Martyr. Have you ever heard of Tertullian? Tertullian was the one who said the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. You know. uh, but he, he criticized Justin Martyr and his use of Greek philosophy. And he said famously, he said, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? So that you could tell they weren't getting along all that great. But uh, so... What is it that goes into a successful biblical apologetic? Okay? And this is, this is really the 101 stuff that's going to kind of bring you into more 
of the deeper stuff. Hopefully John's going to take you into some of the deeper stuff even next week. But if you're going to be a biblical apologist, then obviously you have to have a general knowledge of the Bible. Uh, and so a general knowledge of the Bible. Here's another duh question. How do you get that? Say it again. Okay. Read it. Uh, here's a prophecy from Amos. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst of, for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I think we're living in that day, and there's more Bibles than... We're so... Um, I think... With the internet, which I use all the time, just like everybody else, I think it, there's a laziness there. I'll just hit the sound button, let it, you know, have it read to me. Now, if you can't read, do that. But if you can read, it's probably a good thing to read the Bible. I would also say to you that when it comes to reading the Bible, don't look at the Bible as a... Uh, you know, a book like, uh, like, uh, like a medical reference book, you know, you go here, or, you, know, you know, like the God's Promises book or something like that. It's a book, it's, it's a, most of the Bible actually reads like a narrative. It really does. It really comes together. There, you do have Psalms that fit into places in David's life. And there are prophets that fit into the narrative, the historical narrative. But read through the Bible. And then, are you ready for this? this? is profound. Read through it again. Guess how many times I read through the Bible a year? Three. Only one guesser? <laughs> she says once. Another once. I read through the whole Bible... About every other year. I don't read through the Bible. I come pretty close. Probably about a year and a half. I'm not concerned about that whole calendar thing. I'm concerned about reading constantly through the Bible. And the more you read through it, the more knowledge you acquire. The more knowledge you acquire, the better you become at defending your faith. It's just real simple. That's the whole duh, duh thing of it, okay? So... Here's, here's what Hosea says. My people are destroyed for lack of... Don't say the word. Because some of you know it. How many of you don't know the blank? Fill in the, raise your hand if you don't know the fill in the blank. Just raise your hand up high if you don't know. I'm not going to embarrass you. Only those of you with your hands up. What do you think belongs in there? Did you know that already, Kenny? Okay, well, that's a... That's a really good guess, because that's exactly what belongs there. <laughs> he doesn't say there. You could think of a, you could think of a hundred things to stick in that thing. But he says our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The first line of biblical defense is knowledge of the Bible. It's just real. This is and by the way, just a couple of encouragements. Okay, most unbelievers are Bible illiterates. That's what Paul Little. Evangelist now with the Lord, and that's a true statement. If any, if there's anybody here, if you've done any soul winning at all, and that's I'm, I've dedicated my life to be a soul winner, you know that's a true statement. 
Most unbelievers are Bible illiterates. They don't know their Bibles. And that, that, that'll take care of your biggest fear. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to get stumped the first time I ask a question. I guarantee you, you probably won't get stumped. Okay? And the other encouragement is this. That's no excuse for you to be illiterate. Right? So, you know, give yourself to a general understanding of the Bible by reading it, reading it, reading That's how Augustine was saved. The great church father claimed by virtually every every realm of Christendom. He was sitting, Augustine was a grossly immoral man. And he was sitting in the backyard of his home and he heard a child in the other home or in the other yard singing a kid's song that said, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. And he, he had, even though he was grossly immoral, he had been listening to one of the great preachers of, of that day. And he took that to mean, I need to pick up and read the Bible. He picked up and read the Bible. He read Romans chapter 14 where it says, put on, 13, put on the, uh, put off this and that and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the lust of the flesh. And he, that phrase, put on Christ, that's when he, he gave his life to Jesus right there. And gave his life to reading and studying the Bible, of course. So, Here's another thing we need to do is we need to have a, a, uh, a successful Bible apologetic requires a general knowledge of the Bible and a reaffirmation of your belief in the Bible's power. And this is a big deal. This is a very big, we just sang about it a little bit earlier. One of the songs we just sang about the Bible talked about, uh, uh, it's a fire, did you read that? The Bible? Remember, remember what Jeremiah said, he said, I, I will not make mention of you or speak any more in your name, but your word, he's talking to God, your word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary from holding back and could not. That was a prophet who had to reaffirm the power of God. Spurgeon, one of my heroes, uh, would have been one of those guys who, he was brilliant in many areas, but he was such a Bible man. It was Spurgeon who said that if you cut John Bunyan, he would have bled Bible, ver Bible verses. I think if you cut Spurgeon, he'd have bled Bible verses. When Spurgeon was asked once how to defend the Bible, what do you suppose his answer was? Yeah, this is what he said. He said, open the door and let the, he, and let the lion out. He'll take, care, it'll take care of itself. The way to meet infidelity is to spread the Bible. The answer to every objection against the Bible is the Bible. That sounds a little circular. But it's not if you believe in the power of the Bible. I have literally, and I, I, as God is my witness, I have literally watched the Bible convert somebody by quoting it to somebody. I've literally watched them convert it. And this is the reason why uh, the writer of Hebrews said what he did. The word of God is living and active, which stands juxtaposed to every other book that's not, that's dead and inactive. The word of God is living and active and sharper more sharp than any two-edged sword. A two-edged sword cuts this way and this way, right? Piercing, which is what 
swords do, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. You know theologians have been trying to figure out the difference between the soul and the spirit for time immortal. You know what can differentiate between your soul and your spirit? The Bible. That's what. Piercing to the dividing asunder, that is, it can cut in half the soul and spirit and know the difference between the two. And joints and marrow, it's a discerner of your, what? Your thoughts and the intentions of your, what? Of your heart. That pretty much wraps it up. That's the power of Scripture. That's why you should memorize Scripture. Again, I quoted a little bit earlier. Jeremiah said this, Is not my word? This is in the context of uh, he's so mad at these false prophecies. He said, let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream. But let him who has my word speak it faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? He's asking a rhetorical question. What is the chaff to the wheat? I mean, you separate the chaff, you get rid of it, right? And then he says these words. Is not my word like a fire? That's what we just sang about a little bit ago. Did you know that? Did you know that the song we sang, did anybody know the song was based off of this reference? That's what that song was based off of. And that's why you've heard me say so often, we need to sing with understanding. I need to go back, by the way, I haven't even talked to Paul about this. But did anybody pick up on one of the, song, the new song we sang? The first line says something about from the dust he created. And I thought, hmm, so God created using existing material? I know what some of you are thinking. Shoot, I really like that song. I thought we'd sing it again. Well, I'm just saying, if, if you're saturating your mind with Scripture, then you know. I, I, I'm, I don't want you to think when I'm worshiping, I'm, oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's, I, I, I love music. I, don't have no, I have no problem with a little poetic ex, you know, expression. And I don't, but that caught my eye because God created everything out of nothing, Right? By the word of the Lord was the heavens made, and all the host thereof by the breath of his life, by the breath of his mouth. He commanded, and it stood fast. He spoke, and it came into existence. That's what the Bible says. And so, anyway, I did like this part of it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it's, like, it's like fire. It's like a hammer. And so, what I'm saying, again, is... is, uh, is to reaffirm your belief in the power of the Bible. And if you'll do that, this will give you the confidence that you need to be a great defender of the faith. And then by memorizing key passages, I'm going to pass these out. I, uh, I know I don't have enough. So I'm going to pass out what I have. Just take one, one each and have one of these. And when they run out in the third row, we'll get more next week. Uh, and many of you already have it. I mean, I did this years ago. 30 verses every Christian should know. How many have that little thing I sent out? Okay. So if you already have it, don't grab it. But uh, I, I just did this years ago. You could add 30 more. But these are just basic verses of Scripture that you should memorize. You should commit to memory. If you're going to, be, if you're going to be, become somebody who can defend his or her faith, you have to be able to have the Bible at your lips. You ought to be able to speak the Word of God. Yes, read it, but you ought to be able to speak it. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, it's so much easier for you to memorize. It's not easy for me to memorize. I have to constantly work on memorizing. But because I quote it, 
You know, Chuck Swindoll said years ago, the word of God is like milk. If you keep it, it'll get sour. But if you give it out, it stays fresh. So memorize and quote, memorize and quote, and then find somebody to quote it to. So uh, memorizing key verses of scripture. You guys have heard the story, my whole John, my John 3, 16, or John 14, 6 story. I've shared it a number of times here. Having the only verse I memorized, the only verse I knew two weeks after I saved, held off my friend with one verse for three hours. That was, that literally happened. And that was God's way of showing me the, the raw power of his word. So, I mean, when I first witnessed to my parents, my parents, my, my sweet, dear, loving God, they weren't godly, but they were sweet, dear, loving, very religious parents, Roman Catholic parents, who I love and loved dearly. And when I went there to talk to them about the Lord, I was a month old in the Lord, and I think I knew like three verses by heart then. And I can still remember my mom saying, no fair, you know the Bible. She had no idea what she was saying. Her entire life had been dedicated to a, you know, a, you know, a sacramental system. But it was no fair because I knew the Bible. So what was she telling me? There's, I'm, I'm sensing some power here, Right? And it wasn't coming from me. So then I would say uh, understanding and arguing, I'm using that word loosely, basic Christian doctrine, okay? Uh, Ravi Zacharias. Anybody listen to Ravi Zacharias? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, cool. He's good to listen to. He's a smart guy. Um, great thinker. I love what he said here. He said, the goal in most conflicts is to destroy your opponent." But the goal in apologetics is to win your opponent. It'll never, you'll never do anything if you win an argument but lose, the whole, lose a friend. That's why at the beginning, you know, it was interesting. What do you, you and I went back and forth. I asked you what I said at that point. It wasn't a time for me to go for the jugular. It wasn't even a time for me. It was just a time. To, I'm still trying to get to know him a little bit. And he, but he learned a little something about me that day, didn't he? He learned that I was a Christian. He learned that I became a Christian. He learned that I had, to be, I had to become a Christian. And he learned that I'm so interested in being a Christian, I'd like to tell you about being a Christian. But he also learned that I have enough deferential element to me. I have enough uh, respect for a guy I barely know that I'm not going to go any further. You want to talk some more. And some of you have heard a story. I've shared this story. Hopefully you'll get to hear his testimony. You'll get baptized about a month of a young man that we led to Christ who, um, yeah, that's, those are the very words I said to him at the front of my, of my sabbatical in a coffee shop. He was a barista. And I said, I said, do you have any interest in spiritual things? Yeah. I said, hey, 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 I'm not going to give you a full court press here. Just, just to let you know, if you ever want to talk about spiritual things, I'm here for you. I, I probably said that, I can't count the number of times I've said that. Now, when I say that, I, you might be thinking, I just say that. You know, like the guy who says, hey, can I, can I pray for something for you at the waitress? I've never quite, anyway, I don't want to go there right now. But, uh, uh, but I've said that a lot. But at the end of three months, at, and the week before I came back on from my sabbatical, he texts me and says, hey, uh, thinking about that question you asked, I'd, I'd, 
I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee and hear your story. And that's how it started. He and his now wife have both trusted Christ. They come to Sayreville Church. You know what he said to me? He said to me, on the first time we met, he said to me, he said, you know, uh, I see a lot of guys coming in here with their Bibles. And I think some of them are pastors. He says, uh, you know, but none of them ever asked me about my belief in God. And then I found out Chuck visited there, so I didn't think so badly of everybody else. (laughs) But, you know, the goal, if your goal is to win the person, then you'll do whatever you have to do. Again, talking to my sweet daughter-in-law over here, I mean, mean, she's at a place where she just needs to let this girl, who has a lot of issues, just vomit it out. Just get it off the plate. And I'm going to tell you something else here. Just, this is, when somebody is talking to you about their life, don't cut them off. Don't interrupt them. I, I tell you this because I've done it. You know, it's like, yeah, but I got to tell you this. You just lost the whole thing. That Let them get it off. I mean, even if it's ridiculous stuff that's coming out of their mouth, just let them talk until they have nothing else to say. And there are a lot of people out there so heavy, heavily burdened, they just want to just vomit everything out. Let them do it. Let them do it. Because at the end of it, they're sort of mentally and emotionally exhausted, and then they're ready to receive what you're going to say to them. And this is all a part of not just evangelism, but having a, an apologetic. Okay, so, um, so just a couple of things. Uh, uh, let's just, just so that we have a little interaction here, okay? What time are we done here? Ten after? Something like that. All right. A Jehovah Witness comes to your How many have that JW in your, at your door? Okay, most of you. Uh, you interact with them, and they say, uh, Jesus isn't God. He's the Son of God. What are you going to say to him? What are you going to say to him? You know, most of you just claim that verse in, what is it, Third John says, don't give him, don't talk to him, just send him on their way, which is probably the safest thing to do. An apologetic has to be has a, has the ability to defend Christian doctrine, and that's basic doctrine. Jesus is God. Give me quickly some scripture that says Jesus is God. Okay, uh, John ten thirty. I am the Father one. What's another one? John one one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what connects the Word to Jesus? John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Always connect John 1, 1 with John 4, uh, 1.14. Another one, Jesus is God. Huh? Hebrews, God. Hebrews chapter 1, got a verse in mind there? You're right, you're right on it. Huh? 8 and 9. 8 and 9 particularly, where God the Father is talking to God the Son. And he says, your throne, O God, is a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. You have God anointing God. Oh, that's really powerful stuff right there. And there are others. But you ought to know those classic passages of Scripture that uh, really uh, puff up the deity of Christ. Here's my favorite one. It's hardly ever mentioned, so this is free. Write it down. John 5, 18. 
Because this Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, you know, he, he didn't say he was God. He said he was the son of God. He claimed to be the son of God. And when Jesus was dealing with his enemies, they, they tried to kill him. And because, all Jesus said was, my father has been working and I've been working. And they picked up stones to kill him. And here's why. John 5, 18 says, because he said God was his father, watch it, making himself equal with God. Does that not, is that not a great reference of scripture for the deity of Jesus? Now remember, you're trying to win him, not just win an argument. And with Jehovah Witnesses, it's usually an argument. But anyway, I used to follow him down the street. It made me so mad. Uh, so you're dealing with, uh, where, would you, where would you prove if you were talking with a Muslim that Jesus actually died? How do you know he actually died? Do you know he actually died? Gee whiz, don't be so scared. I know what you're thinking. I know, but I don't have that reference right now. That's the point. That's the point. Know your Bibles. The gospel accounts make it clear, don't they, that he died, that he gave up his spirit. But virtually every gospel account, every single gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give the death and resurrection of Jesus. Every one of them do. And every one of them have the feeding of the 5,000. After that, it's all over the place. But you've got the death of Jesus. You've got the separation of the blood and the water. You've got the piercing. You've got... You've got them going to break his legs, but they don't break his legs. Not only so the scripture might be fulfilled, but because he's already what? He's dead. And that is, that's the gospel. You know, if you get, if you have no dead Jesus, you have no sacrifice. You have no sacrifice. You have no substitution. If you have no substitution, you have no salvation. He has to die. He has to die. Okay. Uh, So. Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that? Of course you do. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, because I read the case for Christ. I mean, yeah. Is that why you believe Jesus rose from the dead? That's an apologetic. Why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Pardon me? It's in the Bible. It teaches us, I mean, the Bible clearly teaches that he rose bodily from the dead. What are some of the evidences Jesus, that Jesus wasn't just a phantom like many of the cults teach that he is? Okay, very good. Brand new Christian here talking, so the rest of you could chime in anytime. He seen, what was that? He ate. He hung around, Acts chapter 1 says he hung around for how long? Anybody know? 40 days. Didn't, Jesus didn't just die, lay in the grave, rise up, and ascend. Although that's the way the creed puts it. The, really, he died, was buried, rose again, hung around for a month and a half. Why? To prove that he really was alive in bodily form. Cooking fish, eating fish and yet passing through walls. And if you want to know what your body is going to be like in the resurrection, just look at Jesus' post-resurrection life, and there you have it. Um, 
just several other things. Holy Spirit, we're out of time here. Holy Spirit, here's a couple of questions. Holy Spirit is a person. God is a triune God. That's what theology class is teaching, that God is trying. Can you prove that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God? Can you prove that? You should be able to do that. These are just basic Bible questions, but um, so, I mean, just the other day, I got done preaching that passage I alluded to this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I walked out and I got trapped by three girls, three college kids, and they said, you can't leave. You have to talk to us about this. I said, okay. And I sat down, they opened their Bibles up, and this gal was a... I, she claimed to be a Christian, but she just could not get her brain around 1 Timothy chapter 2 and, uh, and the structure in the church and the men leading the church and the women not having authority in areas of teaching. And so we, we just opened up the Bible and we talked about it. And I knew that I had to... In this moment, I thought, okay, I need to win this young lady. I don't need to just cram something down her throat. And so I took an extra 20 minutes. I, t- I texted my wife. I said, go on, honey. I'm going to be spending a little time here. And, and it was a, a very profitable time. You've got to be able to open up the Bible and explain certain things. I mean, we live in a culture that's so egalitarian, right? Uh, anyway. Now, next week, John's going to show you how reasoning enters into apologetics. And what he is, and John, why don't you come up and give a little commercial. And as, you, as he comes up here, I want, to sh- I want to come back to this verse that we, whoops, I thought I was going to put it in here at the beginning. Oh, no. Oh, well. I'm going back to the first verse uh, that we started with. Uh, and this is where I want to end. Uh, but in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. And I think the greatest apologetic of all apologetics is your life. It is your life. And when my daughter-in-law came up to me just moments before this, I thought, thank you, Lord. I really did. I said, thank you, Lord. You gave me yet another illustration of the text. This is where it begins. It doesn't matter how much knowledge. Remember what the First Corinthians 13 says? If, if you don't have love... And you're not dedicated to Christ. All your knowledge is it's just knowledge. That's all it is. All your words are just words. Everything you do is just exercise. There should be some evidence that you really love Jesus. And uh, so that's where it starts. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts. I trust that you'll do that. I trust that you'll be, you'll seriously consider becoming knowledgeable of the Bible. You young people that are here, Be knowledgeable of the Bible. Start to memorize those key verses. Really start to memorize. Take them to heart. Believe in the power of Scripture. Reclaim it. It's powerful. The Bible in and of itself, just like Spurgeon, let the lion out of the cage. It'll defend itself. And I've seen it hundreds of times. And you will too if you'll believe that. Now for the reasoning aspect, here's the commercial next week. John? idea that yeah this might help stand close uh that's where you'd start you'd start with the bible you'd start with the gospel you'd start with reasons for why they should uh believe in the gospels and the resurrection and whatnot 
But obviously, you are going to come across people in your culture, in your work, uh, your friends on the weekends are hanging out with that just flat out don't believe that God exists. So they're not going to trust that the Bible is reliable in the first place. So there is a time and place where you have to start outside of the Bible to use reasons, and a lot of them start with big words, you know, the cosmological, ontological argument, stuff like that. But we don't want to just give you lectures. So what I'm really going to do tomorrow is I've sat down with probably, I've actually handed out probably 40 uh, questionnaires to my friends who I know are atheists or agnostic around the area and uh, gotten their responses and actually sat down with a lot of them and just trying to decipher, okay, what are the questions that are being asked in our culture, in my specific culture? And then I'm going to challenge you to really focus on your culture. I'm not just talking about Iowa or America or even the Des Moines Metro, but your personal culture that you're surrounded in every day, what are the questions that are being asked there? If there are people who already believe in God, then you need to start with the Bible. And I'm going to give an example of two people that I actually ran into that one was an agnostic and one was just a confused person that thought he was a Christian. And I started with the gospel with one. I started with uh, before the gospel and before the Bible and more of an apologetic reasoned approach for why he should even trust that God exists. So I'm going to try to break down those big words like ontological arguments to a very practical way that we can actually use them while trying to witness to somebody. Thanks, John. And we'll throw some resources at you next week as well uh, that you can consider purchasing uh, for your own spiritual growth in the area of, of, of apologetics. Let me pray and we're done. God, thanks so much for our time together. Strengthen our faith in you. Strengthen our faith in your word, the Bible. Help us to not just take it to memory, but take it to heart and be able to communicate it to this, this world that so desperately needs to know Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks so much for your attention.